Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. I'm visiting a lab in Baltimore, Maryland, where researchers are asking, can some cells in a dish stand in for a key part of ourselves? But the scientist in charge is keeping my expectations in check. All the labs in the world look the same. <laughs> Don't expect too much here. Yeah? So. That's Thomas Hartung, a professor of evidence-based toxicology at Johns Hopkins University. He's a self-described crazy professor with a medical degree and a PhD from his native Germany. He's been running this lab here in the U.S. for more than a decade. So now something very unspectacular. That's it. <laughs> the lab isn't full of bubbling beakers or robot arms. It's surprisingly cramped. It's got a workstation on either end and a bunch of machines that look like mini fridges lining the walls almost up to the ceiling. The space to move around is about five feet wide. Hartung stops in front of the mini fridge-like machines. When he opens the door, I'm expecting to get hit with this blast of cold air, but instead it's humid and warm inside. Petri dishes sit on a shaker, moving in a circular motion. Graduate student Alex Rittenhouse pulls out a dish. Yes, you can see there are all those little dots in there. So we have a little dish here with four different wells that each have some yellowish media in them. And then in each of those wells, there's a thousand or more little tiny circle balls, basically, which are each individual mini brains. That's right. Mini brains. Actually, people in the field prefer to call them brain organoids because they think it's more accurate. An organoid is a small 3D tissue culture of human cells that follow the instructions in their genes to organize into different cell types. For a brain organoid, those stem cells develop into types of cells found in a real human brain. Which are these brain organoids, which really look like a ball, yeah? A ball of cells. Each of them has about 30 to 50,000 brain cells. Hartung is one of a number of scientists using brain organoids as a research tool. And they're already helping researchers fill in some fundamental gaps in neuroscience. Many brains are modeling diseases like cancer and schizophrenia and testing drugs that could help treat them. Some scientists are even hooking brain organoids up to robots or computers. Like, you might have seen some headlines a few months back about how some Australian scientists taught brain cells in a dish to play the video game Pong. That kind of experiment could herald things to come. Um, we are scaling the brain organoids. We are giving them input and output. In it may sound like science fiction, but brain organoids have real-world applications for everything from medicine to technology. What if you could be more certain that a cancer treatment would work because it had already been tested on your own cells? Or what if it wasn't a silicon chip powering your computer, but a group of cells that mimic the human brain? And once you start mimicking the brain... There is clearly the question, when does sentience start? When does perhaps consciousness start? At some point, there might be a step you don't want to cross. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Alex Osula. Today, we're putting brain organoids under the microscope. As scientists find new and creative ways to use the organoids, they're reckoning with questions around the ethics of experimenting on tissues so like our own brains. Stay with us. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. 
You've heard the big hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, and providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Brain organoids are pretty small. The ones I saw in Hartung's lab were each about the size of a peppercorn. But they have a lot in common with human brains. They can live as long as a year under the right conditions, though the ones I saw in Hartung's lab at Johns Hopkins were almost mature at three months. They generate electrical activity, and they need to be given nutrients and oxygen. You pamper them, your little children, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Saturday or Sunday, yeah? somebody has to do it. Hartung's lab makes thousands of these organoids at a time. Having so many identical mini-brains makes it easier for researchers to do experiments with them. What those experiments are for, we'll get into a bit later. So this is uh, beautiful because it's cheap and robust, and uh, they're the same one to the other. They're the same when you're producing them next week again. You can also run thousands in parallel in, in, in one big batch. Yeah. But make no mistake, each of those thousands of organoids is made of human cells. Brain organoids aim to produce something which has some of the architecture and some of the functionality of a brain. And they are the direct result of stem cell technologies. Each organoid is made from stem cells. Hartung's lab uses induced pluripotent stem cells, a fancy name for cells that scientists can coax into becoming any other kind of cell in the body. By changing the chemicals around them and having the cells express certain genes, scientists can make these groups of stem cells self-organize into various types of neurons and glial cells, the same kinds of cells we have in our brains. Take care of them, give them time to mature, and boom, mini brain. But the organoids that come out of this process don't look like the kind of human brain you might picture. When I visited Hartung's lab, he popped the Petri dish under the microscope so I could get a better look. It's like a, it's like a weird ball. <laughs> but you can... Weird ball isn't a very vivid description, but to be honest, I didn't know what else to say. The organoids were kind of underwhelming. Under the microscope, they looked like tennis balls that the inside was see-through. I couldn't tell if there were different kinds of cells, and it definitely didn't look pink and wrinkled the way human brains are. I asked Hartung about this when we sat down to chat in his office. Are these things alive? Sure they are alive. Okay. I mean, a, a definition of a life is that it, they react um, to the outside. They are having metabolism. They build up, they grow, they expand at least some of these cells, but they're not living humans. So they're living tissues. They may not be living humans, but the organoids are brain-like enough for researchers to do experiments on them. And they're filling a much-needed gap in neuroscience. For a long time, there were things neuroscientists didn't understand about the brain. They weren't able to really study it during some of its key stages of development. So most of the process that leads to the formation of the brain happens when we are embryos in the wombs of our mothers. And so as there should be, there is no access to really that process in that context. Paula Arlotta is the chair of the Stem Cell and Regenerative Biology Department at Harvard University. She trained as a developmental neurobiologist in her native Italy and in the UK. 
And she saw firsthand the limitations around studying the brain, especially when it came to understanding diseases like autism and schizophrenia. These are not diseases that you can easily study in an animal model. They are human diseases. Scientists couldn't see that much. So they turned to things they could see, including imaging techniques like MRIs or studies on people's behavior. When researchers did get the rare sample from a brain, Arlotta says, they could only do a handful of tests on it because they couldn't generate more brain tissue in the lab. But she notes that organoids have opened up a whole new way to look at the brain. Human brain organoids have offered the opportunity to study these complex human pathologies for the very first time, to understand even what they are. What do they affect in our brain? Scientists have already used organoids to see how human brains differ from some of our closest relatives, gorillas and chimpanzees. Researchers are modeling conditions like autism and schizophrenia to understand the role of genes. In other words, these little brains in a dish are helping scientists start to answer questions about humans using human cells. But this research comes with concerns. In fact, Hartung says he's gotten strong reactions when he talks about his work. I recall the very first time I presented this at AAAS, one of the big science conferences here in Washington in 2016, and I presented it to somebody who said, my God, are they conscious? I think for many people who are concerned about brain organoids and consciousness, they're afraid of creating the capacity for suffering, human-like suffering in the lab. That's Insu Hyun, a member of the Harvard Medical School Center for Bioethics. Bioethicists like him take this possibility of consciousness seriously. In fact, he's co-authored papers with Arlotta about bioethics and best practices for how bioethicists and scientists can work together. This kind of scientist-bioethicist dynamic duo isn't necessarily new, but it may become more common among brain organoid researchers. It was a recommendation that came out of the Brainstorm Project, a collaboration funded by the National Institutes of Health to create an ethical framework for brain organoid research. Insu Hyun led the project. He understands what it is about consciousness that worries people. They mean like experience, like like something feels a certain way to the mind, right? Like there's a sensation of pleasure or pain, or even if you want to go even more philosophical, there's like a self-awareness of like the thing realizing, I think therefore I am, I'm like this like self-aware thing. Now, if that's what we're talking about for for consciousness and the brain organized, I think we are really far away uh, from that if, 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 if we can ever get to that. He says this was a major point of discussion for the project members. Initially, the conversation was about the consciousness question. Can these brain organized ever develop human-like consciousness? Is that ever a concern? Uh, is that an ethical hurdle? Well, you know, what about the question of consciousness? And we realized very early on that um, for the foreseeable future, that's really not a meaningful, practical question. At the moment, there's no way to test whether a non-human is conscious. There's no measure for it. But researchers suspect that some of the elements that are needed, the capacity for complex thought, the ability to perceive the world and being able to manipulate it, aren't things that brain organoids can do. At least, for now. But future uses for brain organoids, some of which are already in the works, could push mini-brains beyond anything we've seen so far. And that means those ethical questions will only get more pressing. That's after the break. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. 
journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. For researchers, brain organoids can be a useful tool. They can give scientists insight into the brain in ways that before were too complicated or impossible. More sophisticated organoids could open up new ways for researchers to put them to use. And they might even become the processors in our computers. We'll get to that. But first, let's talk about how organoids are being used right now. One early use for brain organoids has been modeling disease, that is, recreating disease in the mini-brains. A brain organoid has a little bit of everything. And for this reason, you can also study essentially everything. Remember Thomas Hartung, the self-described crazy scientist at Johns Hopkins? His lab and others have been using brain organoids to study the effects of viruses. Many viruses target the brain. So we had been studying Zika virus, we had been studying Dengue virus. And then when the pandemic hit, we said, oh, how comes that more than 30% of the patients have neurological symptoms. Is there possibly also a direct infection of the brain? His lab found that, yes, the virus that causes COVID-19 can infect brain cells and organoids. They've also recreated neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's. Other labs, like the one run by Harvard biologist Paola Arlotta, are looking at other kinds of diseases that affect the brain as it develops. Perhaps it's surprising to think that still today, despite the fact that psychiatric disease or neurodevelopmental disease like autism, it's so prominent in society uh, that we know very little about the specific cell types that are present within the brain. Which ones are affected by these diseases? Do things go wrong as the brain is being made? In what part of the brain, at what point, what kind of processes? Uh, we have very, very limited understanding of this. And if we don't understand where the disease comes from, then it's very hard to think about therapy. Accurate models can do more than help scientists better understand disease. These models can also point researchers towards new potential treatments. And now you can think that you can use that tiny portion of brain, this brain organoid, to understand the mechanisms of disease. How does the genetics of that patient turn into abnormalities in development of the brain, formation of the cells, interaction of the cells into networks and circuits in the brain, and so on and so forth. And that gives you targets. It gives you cell targets, what cell types are affected. It gives you molecules, what molecules, what pathways are affected. That could become molecules, again, that are targets for new therapeutics. Brain organoids could also help screen new drugs. Since the 1930s, animal testing has been a required part of drug trials in the U.S., though that requirement was eliminated at the end of last year. Regulators thought this was needed for scientists to get a sense of whether a potential new drug was effective or potentially dangerous before it was given to humans. But not everyone agreed with the practice. Some activist groups took issue because they saw it as cruel to animals. There are also questions about how effective animal models were to begin with. Many drugs that seem to work in animal testing never make it to market. Thomas Hartung, the Johns Hopkins researcher, knows having good models is important to finding new effective drugs. As a pharmacologist, I'm fascinated of modeling a disease in which I can test out different chemical entities, biological drugs, whatever I, I, I want to study. But he says animal models sometimes just don't cut it. 
I always say we are not 70 kilogram rats. Um, so it is extremely important to have human systems. Brain organoids could help because they're human cells, which researchers say may correspond better to the effect in actual human beings. But for now, brain organoids still have limitations. A big one is that they're isolated. They're not an entire organism. So Hartung says it's impossible to use only them to show how a drug could affect the whole body. He added that they're missing some of the key structures that keep our brains safe and functional. A brain organoid is really a tiny, small piece of the brain. It's not complete. Without things like a blood-brain barrier or a system of blood vessels, organoid models might not be able to show whether, say, a drug taken orally could even make it to where it's needed in the brain. And let's not forget about those ethical questions. For now, brain organoids, unlike animals, don't seem to be able to feel pain. But could that change if they get more sophisticated? What about if they're injected into animal brains to form a human-animal chimera, which is something scientists have tried? Researchers and bioethicists are keeping an eye on questions like these, with the knowledge that someday these answers might mean placing limits on how organoids are used. Ethical questions like these can seem even more pressing when the cells aren't from some anonymous source, but are your own. That's something else researchers are looking at. Using brain organoids to test existing drugs to find the one that's most effective for a specific patient. This is a concept some scientists call personalized or precision medicine. Hartung's lab has tried this with glioblastoma, a deadly brain cancer that tends to resist treatment. We have been taking tumor cells from glioblastoma patients and have grafted them into our brain organoids. So just a few cells per brain organoid. And then they start growing, like in the brain. That is, doctors would remove cells from the tumor and then scientists would incorporate those into organoids. That would allow them to test in the lab which chemotherapy regimen is the most effective. And our hope would be that in the future we can use it to choose the best possible chemotherapy for a given patient. Hartung says that could make a huge difference because the time doctors have to treat patients is often so short. Because in case of glioblastoma, they only have one or two shots per patient. Some studies have shown that the way organoids respond to drugs correlates well with how the patient will respond. But for now, they're limited in how well they can recreate the tumors and the surrounding brain tissue. And some treatments, like immunotherapy, can be hard to test since organoids don't typically have blood vessels. So that's what organoids can do for medicine. That research is in early stages right now. But there's a future where these organoids may also change something completely different. Hartung imagines that cultures of human brain cells a lot like organoids could replace the chips in our computers. In February, he and his team put out several papers outlining the scientific advances it would take to make this possible. They're calling it Organoid Intelligence, or OI. It's really about packing information in a different way. This is stored by connecting cells. Yeah? One neuron has connections to up to 10,000 others. And this is, we call this the connectome, is a very different way of storing information, much, much more dense than, uh, than we can do at the moment. This would only be possible because brain organoids, like human brains, generate electrical activity. And scientists are getting better at reading that activity. Last summer, researchers, including Hartung, published a paper about a tiny cup-like device that can measure an organoid's electrical signals. But to connect that electrical activity to a machine, they'd have to improve the interface. Right now, scientists can use electrodes to record the activity of brain organoids and to send electrical signals back to them. And their tools are getting more precise but it's nowhere near what scientists would need to build a computer around. 
Some other brain organoid researchers are skeptical these advances could ever happen. And Hartung says he doesn't expect it to happen anytime soon. Let's say this is a dream at the moment. Uh, and I would say it is not a short-term <laughs> goal. Uh, but at some point, you have to start it. For now, researchers are already starting to work on that brain-computer interface by connecting organoids to things like robots. In 2019, researchers at the University of California, San Diego, said they connected brain organoids to a spider-like robot and that the organoids seemed to respond to the outside environment. Arlotta, the Harvard biologist, points out that work like this could show researchers something important about how brains learn. What if we could generate a human brain computer machine interface, so an interface that could really understand the function of the circuit or the capabilities of the circuits within a human brain organoid. Could we then be able, for example, to understand whether neural networks in an organoid that comes from a patient, let's say, with autism spectrum disorder, would have different learning properties? More sophisticated organoids with input and output could also mean that those ethical questions might not be so settled after all. In Soo Hyun, the bioethicist, says he and others will continue to revisit them. We don't want to be so cavalier to say, well, you know, there's nothing to, nothing to see here, folks. Let's move on. Like, absolutely. We want to have a wait-and-see kind of monitoring approach to kind of see where things head. And it's not just bioethicists who will be keeping a close eye on this. Hyun and the other researchers I spoke with emphasize that public input will be increasingly important for how brain organoid research develops and perhaps how it's limited. He compared it to how we as a society agree to put traffic signs on our roads. Well, those don't just spring up on their own. And in the American democratic system, everyday people have a big say in what those signs say and where you place them. I'm talking about laws and policies. Whether you know it or like it or not, the public is involved in some way. With science. Arlotta, the Harvard biologist, says that clearly communicating this work to the public is complicated, but it's important for scientists to get it right. This is work that, if it's not described appropriately, if we don't really fully understand, number one, what these organoids are, and number two, why we do this work, where are we going with this, it could be really misunderstood in a way that would be detrimental not only to science and understanding, but actually to the development of treatments for diseases that at the moment don't have treatments. Researchers like Hartung welcome that public discussion, even if it means someday restricting the kinds of experiments they can do on organoids. He's confident that this work could make the world better. We simply have to leave the ivory tower of research because it is not what other scientists and philosophers are thinking about. It is about when do we come to something where a general public starts to feel uneasy. Because, I mean, uh, we want to do something which is for the greater good. We want to understand brain function. We want to find the drugs to help my grandpa cope with Alzheimer. It is for something positive. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Alex Osala. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Jessica Fenton and Michael Laval are our sound designers. And Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Editorial support was provided by Alan Habercheck and Falana Patterson. Like the show? Tell your friends. And leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening. 
Enter a revolutionary business world where AI meets power with Intel Core Ultra and Intel vPro. Imagine PCs that boost productivity, creativity, and collaboration with cutting-edge AI. They're gateways to innovation, engineered with powerful AI performance, hardware-based security, and AI-powered threat detection. Plus, they're built sustainably and can be managed remotely. Transform your workflow with Intel Core Ultra and Intel vPro today. No product can be absolutely secure. Become an IT hero at intel.com slash it heroes.